0: What a film suck where we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we're taking on the delightful job of acquainting you with Miss Tallulah Bankhead, um, the star of stage, screen, radio, TV from the 1920s to the 1960s. She she came into our heads because of our last podcast, uh, if you recall, called Dueling Divas. When one of the things we were discussing was the movie The U.S. versus Billie Holiday. And they, they had Natasha Leone, who's generally delightful, playing Tallulah Bankhead, who had, who's long been very strongly rumored to be one of um, um, Billy Holiday's lovers. That's why she was in this movie. But the way it was written, I'm sure it's not Leone's fault, but the way the part was written made her very, very dullsville. And that just was never the case. You could say a lot of things about Tallulah Bankhead, but you can never <laughs> say she was dull. Um, and she herself once said, say anything about me, darling. As long as it isn't boring. Um, so let's plunge into, you know, and we'll also get to like the whys. Why does she continue to interest us? What, what's her relevance now? But first, let's just start off with, in case you don't know, um, you know, who the hell is Tulula Bankhead?
1: <laughs> so if, yeah, if, uh, if you're, if you've never seen Tulula mm-hmm. and you, you, if you were likely to run across her on screen, you've probably seen her in Alfred Hitchcock's Lifeboat. Mm-hmm. Made in 1944, which Eileen wrote about um, for mm-hmm. Filmstock for our patrons this week. Um, so you've probably seen Lifeboat; that's probably her most favorite, famous film. But uh, maybe we can kind of draw a picture of her. She was she made her name. She well, she was born to Alabama aristocracy in a, in a way <laughs> uh, from a, a longtime political family, Alabama political family. Her father was the Speaker of the House under Roosevelt. And her father was a little more interesting politically than the rest of her family, who were sort of standard Dixiecrats. Um, Tallulah herself um, went to New York as a as a young woman, um, tried to make her name on the stage. She made her name at the Algonquin Roundtable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes. Being the life of the party, <laughs> and then she she went on to England um, to make her name on the stage there in the 20s, and then came back to America a star, a theatrical star, and um, she continued on. And probably, if you think of Tallulah, you think of her the way she was portrayed in the U.S. Ver- in the United States versus Billie Holiday. She uh, she's kind of most known for her middle-aged persona. She had this you know fabulous hair parted on the side that looks just like Betty Davis in All About Eve because that character Margot Channing was patterned after her and um, she had a very low um, baritone and she called everyone (laughs) darling and she was always you know smoking and drinking and sort of carrying her mink like very casually Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's if you if you've seen Tallulah that's probably the Tallulah you know right
0: Mm -hmm. at least yes image wise yeah that's the one thing they got sort of right they had a couple of the key qualities the Natasha Leone performance Where she has the mink casually slung over her shoulder and she has the long, shoulder length, side sweeping hair. So they had that going for them anyway, even if they didn't have much else.
1: But but what was missing was her legendary wit and humor. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean she she again, she cut her teeth, you know, in the circle in circles like where dorothy parker and oscar mm-hmm. levant traveled and then later you know noel coward um mm-hmm. so she was so hilarious so witty uh, very self-deprecating and often her sexual prowess was the butt of her own jokes right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so uh, you know I- eileen had a great one letter that she quoted in her piece which was uh, this is a classic Talulaism. Um, you know, my, my father warned me about men in booze, but he never said a word about women in cocaine. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. that's kind of a, a standard to <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And it should be noted that in the 20s you, and to the, say, early 30s, you could, more people than her could get away with a little bit of sexual freewheeling behaviors. But the, but the clamp came down really hard on that, especially in post-World War II era and definitely into the 50s. And she went on. She went right on, <laughs> um, having no filter and talking very freely. Um, and it became part of her notorious persona. When other people had to very much drop it, so you know, mm-hmm. if you read about celebrities such as Katherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, and others who would gather at, say, George Cukor's house, <laughs> um, for you know, amazing parties—one for the heterosexuals, one for the homosexuals—and <laughs> people mixed in both groups, and it was, it was, it was much more allowed. Um, at a certain point. And, and past that point, you, cl- you, you, were, you got the message. Like, Catherine Hepburn is a notorious case of someone who was, shall we say, leading a bisexual life, if not a lesbian life, and then suddenly became devoutly heterosexual and never stopped talking about her love affair with Spencer Tracy. Right. Um, and there you know, there's, there's very detailed biographies about the pressures that were put on her to conform. So, but so Tallulah Bankhead becomes the kind of you know the last one standing, the last of the sexual adventurers still talking about it.
1: Right, and it it kind of explains how Lifeboat, which came out in '44, was mm. didn't make a big splash to punt on the lifeboat mm. um, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, because you know Tallulah is playing a kind of Garbo Dietrich, sexually ambiguous character that. Uh, like Eileen just said was Mm -hmm. kind of disallowed um come the war so Mm -hmm. and yeah she continues post-war with her her bad self and she doesn't even have the excuse of foreignness to Mm -hmm. to kind of mitigate it (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. so um, and that's so true and and if you look at her 1930s performances you know she's I think she's at Paramount is that right Yes, except
1: for one MGM film, but we could talk about it. Right, that. and yeah. they're
0: trying really hard. They really want to make her a star, but the mold they think she'll fit is is the, the Marlena dietrich Greta Garbo exotic foreign woman who's a sex, sexual adventuress part, right. but that's a very languorous um, <laughs> um, part to be playing and a lot of long looks and not a lot of snappy dialogue or anything mm-hmm. like that, and it doesn't fit to Lula Bankhead very well, but you can see her in a number of films. In the 1930s when they're lavishing all sorts of, you know, fancy photography and they're really glamorizing her and really trying to build her up into a star, but she, they've got the wrong persona fixed on her. Right. Um, Yeah
1: she yeah she she famously said, you know I she thought she didn't translate to screen. I think she was just reading her critics. I think it's more complicated than that, but she said, you know the thing about me on stage was my vitality, but if you do that in front of the camera, you look like you have Saint Vitus's dance <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah. she, you know it didn't she had to tamp down her her uh mannerisms considerably I I think her film career is a little more complex than even she lets on but maybe should we take should we take the listeners through the sort of paces of the of the biography
0: yeah let's do that
1: okay so well Eileen help me help me fill in here but I mean Mm -hmm. Tallulah's born in 1902 in Mobile Alabama to Mm -hmm. a to a very old southern family and her mother um died giving birth to her her mother was an extraordinarily beautiful woman socialite of course um married to her father the young politician and she you know obviously she well not obviously but she did bear a lot of guilt for her mother's death um she was <laughs> she had a very very amusing competition with her sister eugenia that lasted throughout their lives and um eugenia was kind of always trying to steal men from tallula mm-hmm. um they were they were kind of hilarious. I won't say whatever happened to Baby Jane, but, you know, like a, <laughs> a close, like eccentric sisterly duo.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Tallulah won a beauty contest as a young woman, appeared in a couple silent films, but really got her start when she went to New York, you know. It, yeah. And we should
0: nature. we should add how young she was. She wins the she wins that contest when she's, what, 15? Yeah. <laughs> she's just unbelievably young when they let her with chaperones. Go to New York. The family supports her with I forget what it is. There's a little stipend she has till she can make it, and they don't really think she's going to make it. Right. Sounds like. But we should also add her lifelong adoration of her father, so that she 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 really. Sort of, if she, to the extent that she ever su- suffered about her wild ways, her wild living, it was because she was she didn't want him to know. <laughs> so one reason for going to England and staying there so long, it seems like, was because she could be much more, <laughs> um, be much more outrageous there with Daddy not finding out. Um, so that was a, a big deal for her, try, constantly trying to get his attention. He was so heartbroken over the loss of his beloved wife that he was absent a lot in their childhood. So it was just a life time of, of trying to get his approval and attention and they seem does seem like they were very close but still the longing seemed very noticeable with her
1: right right and it I mean it translates into like so many theatrical people you know she just mm-hmm. desired attention at all costs and I don't mm-hmm. mean that I, I don't mean to like disparage her you know like she mm-hmm. was very artful in her <laughs> in her garnering of attention mm-hmm. um and, and she first at least pretended to some kind of bisexuality when she was a teenager in New York. And she would often introduce herself to dinner guests, you know, like, um, hi, I'm Tallulah. I'm a lesbian, darling. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> and this this continued when she went to England in the 20s and made a huge theatrical splash there. You know, mm-hmm. she slept with everyone. Um, mm-hmm. But she settled on a sort of bisexual aristocrat a man um mm. who she was with for many years there and and they had a very tempestuous time of it but you know it was the 20s and it was an absolute raging party with every kind of substance mm-hmm. everyone up up all night long and she was the absolute queen of london Mm-hmm. so and she made her name in you know like somerset momsy things <laughs> right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like a lot of drawing rooms some melodramas you know mm-hmm. nothing mm-hmm. very heavy hitting um mm-hmm. especially during that time
0: and right and i'm trying to remember what drove why, why did she ever leave she was doing so smashing there what happened now i'm suddenly forgetting I why did she come she- back to america
1: I think she broke up with the aristocrat. Oh, that was it. Yeah. That
0: was it, yes. Mm-hmm.
1: So it was, yeah. time, it was time to try her hand at Broadway, and she was mm-hmm. a raging success, and this is when her repertoire really opened up. She played in things from, like, Clifford Odettes to Antony mm-hmm. and Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. She was not a very successful Shakespearean. <laughs> <So> <laughs> my favorite headline is Tallulah barged up the Nile and sank.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she had a rough time with critics. It seems to me they were gunning for her. Sometimes really unfairly.
1: It does seem seem so, but, but she was very successful in a sort of Mm -hmm. like, you know, the middle brow American well-made play. Um, Mm -hmm. Like Lillian Hellman's The Little Foxes is one of her greatest roles. And she, Mm -hmm. she created that role on stage um, Mm -hmm. before Betty Davis ever played it on film. Mm And Betty Davis often, famously, played mm-hmm. on screen what Tallulah had played on the stage, including mm-hmm. Jezebel, which is a actually a show that never got off the ground because Tallulah got uh, very ill in the 30s mm-hmm. before she played it on stage. But Tallulah played Dark Victory, um, all kinds of Betty da- all, all foxes, kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Little Foxes, right.
0: And she was so identified with Little Foxes, which was such a triumph for her. I mean, the critics finally had to acknowledge she was just fantastic. And 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 supposedly Betty Davis did not want the part. She was just like that's what she always claimed anyway, that she was just like you can't do it better than her. There is no way to play it other than the way she played it. Mm-hmm. And it led to very very famous fights between her and William Wyler, who she, whom she had made several films and they not only, you know, were making films together, they were lovers. And they they broke up essentially over the tensions on the set of Little Foxes because you know they, she she kept trying to play it t- sort of Tallulah's way but feeling bad about it it was quite a drama. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Betty Davis's relationship to Tallulah Bankhead, according to, again to Betty Davis, so you never know how true. Um, she was one, you know, how true it could be, but she she claims Tallulah Bankhead once once sort of comically confronted her and said, oh, you're the one who plays all of my parts on film, but I do them so much better. And and Betty Davis, you know, this was smarter. Just said, I quite agree with you, Miss Bankhead. (laughs) Quickly (laughs) took the air out of that potential fight. Right. Um, If there was ever really going to be one, which sometimes seems very hard.
1: Right, right. Um, Although yeah. I would have, I would have paid tickets for that to see <laughs> that to see the two up. of them yeah. <laughs> facing off.
0: Yeah, I mean, literally, I posted a photo when I, I wrote the post on Lifeboat, and I posted a photo of Tallulah Bankhead, and she's wearing a complete Margot Channing outfit, which Edith Head very knowingly copied. She copied yeah. the whole look from Tallulah Bankhead to 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 have Betty Davis play it as Margot Channing, and and people have still been writing me saying. Oh my god! I thought that was Betty Davis, and I'm like, yeah, it's quite a thing, isn't it? <laughs> That's how much they patterned the look, and it's Tallulah Bankett. That's how much that they patterned the look, and they did both have very large eyes. There are a couple of superficial qualities that they have in common, physically,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that makes it even a little more a more more astonishing.
1: Right, right, and it's well, and we'll we'll get to that. Like in a way, mm. All About Eve is kind of the period when Tallulah turns from I I don't know I guess a a serious artist I mean I feel stupid evaluating like her her like that but you know she turns in the early 1950s to to more caricaturish roles and review sort of things but there are several um sort of theatrical tragedies interspersed during that Mm -hmm. later time that we'll talk about Mm -hmm. hopefully um she plays actually all having to do with Tennessee Williams um Mm -hmm. But maybe we should talk about the param her. So in the 1930s, at, you know, in the flush of her Broadway stardom, fresh from mm-hmm. her legendary London sojourn, um, Paramount signs her to to a deal. And mm-hmm. we should talk a little bit about these movies. Um, it was Walt. Oh, pretty- can I
0: just say what she told everyone though? It's oh, another please. One-liner. Yes. <laughs> she c- claimed l- later that she said to everyone, "I'm only going out to Hollywood to fuck that divine Gary Cooper." <laughs> Just because he was very beautiful when he was young. If you only know him from like high noon, you should see him when he was young and he dressed very specific, very sophisticated looking man mm-hmm. and a bit a ladies man and he was the 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 word had gone out that he was absolutely hung like a horse. I mean, so it made him <laughs> a real sexual prize uh among, you know, women stars and she was determined to get some of that. But she did. <laughs>
1: but I <laughs> I guess according, you know, so I, it, some of the biographies say like Tallulah just told everyone that she did.
0: And that, <laughs> like oh, a, really? She really did <laughs> oh, have it. I never, I never thought there was any reason to doubt, but maybe I should. Maybe you should doubt everything. There's a hilarious,
1: <laughs> so they they did star in a film together, The Devil in the Deep with mm-hmm. Charles Lawton, which is like, okay. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it is really beautiful and it looks like, Morocco you know uh which Gary Mm. Cooper is also in um and Tallulah's in this beautiful glittering gown and Charles Lawton is her sadistic husband who is uh the the captain of a submarine and Mm. he knows that Tallulah had an affair with Gary Cooper and he hatches this elaborate plan to make Gary Cooper um go on some submarine mission and he's going to he's going to kill himself and gary cooper and make everyone go down with the submarine anyway (laughs)
0: that is an elaborate it's insane it's
1: totally insane i
0: love hollywood oh my god (laughs)
1: but cooper and and talou are actually they've got some chemistry and they have this one Mm -hmm. like really great love scene on the sand um but they do say that on the set there was one day when Gary Cooper fled out of his dressing room covered in lipstick, like uh, literally uh, running.
0: <laughs> and so it sounded oh, I like think I did hear that he was terrified.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think I did hear that. You could see how he might be a little overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so who knows? Did they? Didn't they? I guess we'll never know. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the Devil in the Deep was like the fourth. Let's see. It was actually the fifth film that she did for Paramount. They kept trying mm-hmm. to get it right. So from, mm. from 1931 to 1932, mm. she made four films for Paramount and then one film for MGM at the end of her Hollywood stay. And mm. I actually, I, I did a little research on this back in the day and it was so weird, the publicity that the studios put together. I went through the press books for some of these things and they were, uh, so they kept emphasizing the word electric and they even suggested that, um, movie theater owners set up like a, a shock booth. Where, where <laughs> oh, people... I saw that! Yes!
0: yes. Like a... the Tingler horror film, only only for Tallulah, and they would shock the audience. Exactly, <laughs>
1: exactly. So they, they said, you know, Tallulah's most prominent quality should be electricity she's uh-huh. like a dynamo you know she's got a kick like two million volts of sizzling electricity <laughs> and they just keep there in all these booklets you know they used to release these press booklets to the to the theater owners like kind mm-hmm. of directing them into all the uh, giving directions for all the publicity ploys that they could implement mm-hmm. um and they kept you know they would always say play bankhead electric traits up but it's really interesting because that the press books off also speak to their utter confusion about how to market her um so you know in the, in their first in the first film that she appeared in which was <coughs> tarnished lady for for Paramount, um, about a society woman who, you know, a lot of stuff happens and she ends up, <laughs> ends up yeah. bad, whatever.
0: She but, is tarnished after all. Exactly. So.
1: <laughs> it's always yeah. a society lady who ends up tarnished, sometimes mm. redeemed, often not. Mm. Um, and, and this one, you know, they, they kept asking, what kind of a gal is Bankhead? And that, <laughs> you know, that was their kind of line. Um, but mm. it was really weird because sometimes they would quote her uh, using a Cockney accent. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was like they didn't know what to do, but they kind of um, realized that she seemed affected because she'd been in England for like a decade.
0: Mm-hmm. So she oh, and this- she was such a mimic. She would say that, but she would sound like anyone she'd been with. So if she she didn't dare be with like people who stammered because she'd yes. pick up their stammer and it would sound like she was making fun of them. Yes, it- yes, yes, yes. yes.
1: And it's true. She has the oddest voice. Half of the time it's, uh, well, okay, like a third of the time it's, you know, a mid-Atlantic accent. And then the other mm-hmm. third it's British. And then the other third mm-hmm. it's like Alabamese, you know? Yeah, it's you'll like, get
0: a drawl going.
1: <laughs> it's cray. It's, mm-hmm. So you could see like they were half- Like like you said, making her Garbo, Mm -hmm. Dietrich, you know, languid and sexy Mm -hmm. and her Britishness could kind of work for that. But Mm -hmm. then the other half was this like electric, Mm -hmm. you know, vital kind of like maybe more American style, but it was so damn confused. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like they did the Cockney thing because they're like, well. She can't be too upper crusty. Maybe that would be alienating because she's American. Uh, so maybe uh, like we'll, we'll, we'll telegraph some working God. class. Like, oh, no. I don't know. It was the, the point is it was confused.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's what's weird, though, is that, the, that they got the vitality, but then they didn't use it. I was watching part all. of the cheat. And she's doing all the, like, Garbo Dietrich things. These very low smokings of cigarettes, the, the, very long and languorous, and very much, you know, the eyes with the guy, whoever the guy of interest is. But it, it isn't communicating energy, but that they got the energy. I've always been sad she didn't do screwball comedy. She would have oh, great. I uh. mean, and there it was, you know? Mid-30s to early 40s is the era of screwball comedy, and it's fast talk and live wire and eccentric and I'm like, it was right there. It's like they saw a quality and then tried to marry it with the opposite qualities, and yes. yeah, it didn't work.
1: What a waste! Exactly. It's like you know, trying to. I, I don't. Uh, I, it's very strange because the films themselves put her in a Dietrich role, but mm-hmm. the ad, the copy, the advertising copy, and press, and the interviews um, do make her much more madcap. Right. So. So no wonder the public was like WTF and the movies are for the most part horrendous, except the, the last couple that she made and God bless MGM, because you know what? They do know how to treat a girl. (laughs) (laughs) faithless was the last film she was in it was for mgm Uh and it's another of these you know she starts uh, very high in the social Mm. line of things and she ends up a prostitute but Mm -hmm. she looks phenomenal there are Mm -hmm. several scenes where she's allowed to be comic and Mm -hmm. you know like your heart just bleeds you're like oh my god why didn't mgm pick her up they couldn't they could have made her into a real star but i think uh there is a reason Mm-hmm. uh and it is because she could not keep her mouth shut and yes. she <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. she
1: you know there's a she gave this very scandalous interview and she yeah. had the worst timing it's 1932 the production code has been written for a while but it's not implemented until what 33 34
0: 34 is the official year but they started in stages you know they they, they were bringing in more and more little little Versions of the code before they finally brought the hammer down in 1934.
1: Okay. So, and she's, you know, she's riding this permissive wave, but she goes too far when she Mm -hmm. gives an interview to a journalist that she says several things. She's just very free about her sex life. And she Mm -hmm. says, you know, I, she says things like I can meet a man and have an affair with him, you know, then like within half an hour Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, what's wrong with me. It's not roles. It's that I, you know, basically she says, I haven't gotten laid. I haven't, I haven't been with a man in six months. I need a man. Yes.
0: And that's the headline, isn't it? I want a man. Yep. I want a man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. Her, yeah. And th- the whole world was scandalized. And in fact, it inspired um, Joe Breen, who was in charge of the Production Code Administration at that time, to uh, draft new uh, regulations by which <laughs> stars would have to abide. So basically mm-hmm. saying, like, if you're a star in Hollywood, you can't go saying these things <laughs>
0: to the right. Product and And it's interesting that she gets left out of this history of censorship they'll always name gangster films the violence and gangster films and and like the moral problems and Mae West Mae West gets tons of credit for the production code finally being enforced but no one in the standard histories mentions Tallulah Bankhead it sounds like she had a very definite impact
1: that's so true she did she did and it you know it as one of her biographers said you know it she committed what was in Hollywood an unpardonable sin, which was underscoring the obvious truth that stars enjoyed sexual license denied most of their fans, (laughs) you know? It's like you needed it, you needed the audience to kind of think that, but to be hazy about the details, you know? Mm -hmm. But Tallulah Mm -hmm. kind of like, broadcast the details in neon so and her her father was um utterly scandalized and and didn't know what to say or how to address it and her family gave her a stern talking to she basically lied to them and said yeah you know i i couldn't do half of the things that are accredited to me but uh kind of killed her hollywood career So, yeah, and Eileen, I think another reason that screwball comedy might have saved her is, you know, Garbo and like we said, Garbo and Dietrich are foreign. And even in the 30s, the more permissive 30s. uh, the, although Hepburn may have been sexually ambiguous, she was seldom morally ambiguous, but Tallulah's right. characters were morally ambiguous. <laughs> right. And and she's American. And again, if you're foreign, uh, you know, I think that's easier for Americans to deal with. But they could not deal with an American woman being so, um, so morally ambiguous unless unless <laughs> I think you were like a Mae West or, you know, tempering it with comedy. So, yes, if only if only they'd picked her up for screwball comedy.
0: And it's still, you know, notable that we look back on Mae West as such a singular phenomena. That kind of outspokenness just supposedly wasn't allowed, and mostly it wasn't allowed. So it's like, oh my god! But her, but you know, her career was ruined by the code, absolutely destroyed. She makes a couple of pictures; they're boring, mm-hmm. and she's washed out really early in cinema. But her, you know, the only ones people admire of Mae West are right or before the the hammer of the code comes down.
1: Right, right. So you know, so there goes Toulouse um but she went she went back to broadway and it was in the late 30s and the mid you know through the mid 40s really that she has her most robust success uh, successes as a mm-hmm. as a theatrical actress um and and that you know and of course then she does this she does well two two major films in the 40s um mm-hmm. hitchcock's lifeboat and um uh Lubitch's oh my god A royal scandal thank you a royal scandal yeah <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so Eileen, tell us what's so great about Lifeboat.
0: Oh, yes, which I wrote about, but, you know, just to repeat a few of the things. I mean, what, what Hitchcock claims he wanted for the role was who is the most incongruous person to find <laughs> in a lifeboat, the ship having been torpedoed by a German U-boat during World War II. Um, and he said Tallulah Bankhead. Plus, he adored her. Uh, Hitchcock really loved people who were sexually frank he himself you know wasn't would basically had no sex life until at least I believe the rumors he started trying to have one in the worst way with Tippy Hedren but he he would admit to people that he'd had sex exactly once with his wife conceived a daughter and then never found the whole the whole thing distasteful but he loved he loved dirty jokes he loved any kind of sexually free behaviors and he just loved her so you can see the way that they have tailored this part to be perfect for Lula Bankhead. She's playing Constance Porter, Connie, um, and she's a self-made big success. She's a a reporter, you know, covering everything in a kind of glamorous way, and you find her in this lifeboat, initially by herself, and she's completely unruffled. Her hair is in an updo. It's perfect. She's perfectly coiffed, dressed, minked with a you know, giant <laughs> hunk of ice on her wrist. This bracelet that's going to be a source of contention. She's got her typewriter. She's got her camera. She's covering the disaster even as she's in the midst of it. And the only thing that ruffles her just slightly is she, she notices she has a run in her silk stock. <laughs> and that's just unacceptable. <laughs> um, so that's the, the really en- highly enjoyable. You, you're immediately fond of this woman for all of her impossible qualities. And she's going to have many. She's very self-centered. You know, a lot of the project of the film is how she's going to wind up, you know, dedicating herself to the, you know, to this not only her own survival, but the survival of everyone in the lifeboat. And, and she's going to get steadily stripped of all of her possessions <laughs> in doing so. Um, but, you know, you're going to bring out all of these qualities that, in fact, are associated with the little She was hugely, sometimes ridiculously generous to people. You know, gave tons of money and gifts and (laughs) come stay with me's. And, you know, she would just give possessions away routinely. She could be incredibly sweet and giving and lovely. Um, Of course, she could also be just a a white tornado (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) Um, So she, the the kind of imperiousness can be combined with a kind of almost childlike sweetness. And Hitchcock gets all of that. Mm -hmm. Some of the tales are legendary from the set. The main one being... (laughs) They had to. Cl- it was all shot in a tank, uh, a giant one of those giant water tanks on the 20th century lot, the um, back lot, and they had to climb up into the tank um, every day. Of course, it was a tall ladder, and and Tula just delighted in climbing up because she wore no underwear, <laughs> and so the whole crew would burst into applause <laughs> every time she climbed up into the tank. And I guess, I guess there was a woman reporter on the on the set one day who was horrified who saw this. You know, exhibitionist display, and went and complained to Zanuck, who then turned around and sent someone to to say something to Hitchcock, and Hitchcock got one of his best one liners when he said, "I don't know if this is a problem for wardrobe, makeup, or hairdressing," <laughs> which is just like, "Yee!" <laughs> but yeah, but he, and he also said to the press, you know, she's a completely uninhibited person, and some people can't handle that, you know. But I, I personally find it delightful. And so that's kind of built in. She's a very frank-spoken woman. Um, she's, she's very eccentric. You know, she, of course, falls in love with the, with the very working class, very beefcake John Hodiak character. Um, there's a lot of politics in the film, which are quite interesting. Um, And he's, you know, he's pretty, pretty clearly being cast as a communist, and that's a source of tension between them. But then it's going to turn out very endearingly that they both come from the exact same neighborhood in a rough side, a rough working class um, section of Chicago. And that's one of the bigger reveals as they're falling in love. But there's all, of course, these other characters of all sorts of persuasions on this boat. And ultimately, it's supposed to all be functioning. And you can see that. though it's not intrusive or bad it's a really great film it's oddly neglected and i'll tell you why um it's because the the propaganda was seen to go awry it's it's all they're all british or american subjects who are on this boat it's a boat from new york city is it new york city to london Mm -hmm. and um they're, they're there's one german who comes aboard who's they rescue even though there's a debate about it and they think he claims and she's um Bankhead plays the only one who can speak German. Um, she's the only one cosmopolitan, other than apparently <laughs> the German. And she, he claims he's only just an ordinary seaman off the boat, but she immediately suspects that he's he's the captain and reveals who he is. She's being portrayed as someone who's very very smart, mm-hmm. and she says "Herr Kapitän." And he immediately turns, and so she proves he's the captain. What what people objected to and critics objected to, apparently Dorothy Thompson, the famous um, woman reporter who covered the war, was furious that, the, that the, the German played by Walter Slezak is played as so much smarter, more competent, tougher, in every way more able to survive than the rest of them who are mm-hmm. inclined to bicker and be impractical and all sorts of problems, that people just took huge offense. I mean, it was being made in 1943, comes out in 1944, people are just were in no mood to see anything that seemed to be suggesting the Germans might just be more, more competent. Um, and of course Hitchcock tried to argue. He was re- usually very effective at working the press. And he, he said, you know, I'm trying to make an argument that we, the, the allies really need to cooperate and, and work as a unified force because we're up against a serious, serious enemy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tallulah Bankhead was equally outspoken. It was just like, these, these criticisms are moronic darling. <laughs> <laughs> But it didn't help, and 20th Century Fox chickened out and gave it a very limited release, which was weird for Hitchcock, who was such a popular director, he always got a super wide release, but they completely muted it, barely released it, barely advertised it, and that's how it's it's become one of these weirdly, you know, not that well-known Hitchcock films, even though it's a great, great film.
1: Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, it definitely started my Tallulah Bankhead obsession, you know, mm. I, because that opening moment is the very definition of camp. When, <laughs> <laughs> when they've just been torpedoed, she's on a lifeboat and she looks down at her stocking and just says, hey. you know, just like,
0: <laughs> <clicks>. it's <laughs> beautiful. It's so fabulous. And, that, you know, Hitchcock goes out of his way to make her, make her wonderful in a way that's unusual because she's, she's, it's, what, she's 42 mm-hmm. or something like that? She's early 40s. She's still great looking, but it's just starting to get kind of a ravaged look. Mm-hmm. You know, it's clear. And he is he, able to make her look just gorgeous and wonderful. He gives whole, whole long scenes with big close-ups of her, with her, her famous hair fanned out around her head as she's lying down <laughs> looking marvelous. Um, <laughs> in, 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 in a way that's not trying to disguise you know, her age. It seems, it seems in full celebration of how great she is and how great looking she is. It should have given her a completely renewed career. It's just fury, infuriating that it didn't.
1: It's it's a it's a scandal, but it did get her that Lubitsch role. Yes, (laughs) and I I think you've seen it more more uh, uh, recently than than I have, Eileen. But it's you know it's it's pretty decent. She in in the Ernst Lubitsch film Royal Scandal, she plays Catherine the Great
0: yeah um, she's born to play born to <laughs> at play. least a camp version of it anyway
1: absolutely for her mm-hmm. ravenous mm-hmm. sexual appetite um uh-huh, uh-huh. you know she's funny as hell she looks pretty good uh, yeah yeah and it's it's like worth your time if it ever comes on tcm it's hard to come mm-hmm.
0: by it if is it, it's yeah. very hard to find yeah all of these a number films, of her films
1: yeah, except for Lifeboat in her last film, which is like a, this sort of, you know, camp travesty in the line of mm-hmm. "Um, Die, Die, My Darling. I, I mean, it's called Die, Die, My Darling. It's in the line mm-hmm. of whatever happened to Baby Jane and, mm-hmm. you know, all of the other sort of. Um,
0: Old women oh, as terrifying hags. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> movies of that period. Star yeah, as
1: monster films. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Lifeboat and Die, Die, My Darling are the only ones you can really get on DVD. The rest you have to hunt um, from mm-hmm. other places. Um, but yeah, so I mean, so but yeah, the mid '40s was like a little bit of a, a filmic renaissance for her, but not enough. She Mm -hmm. didn't get nominated for best actress for Lifeboat, and
0: she she was furious. She fully expected to. She didn't get the nomination, and she what did she get? The New York Critics' Prize. What is it called? Yeah, and and of course she said when she got it, "Darlings, I was wonderful." (laughs) You know, so that was some made up a little bit, but not not really. She really should have been nominated. It's a tour de force performance, and Hitchcock just just gives it tours. It's like, no, she's going to be the most spectacular character. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it really is an infuriating thing that, again, I guess, who knows? There's all sorts of weird circumstances in movies. But again, did she just come across as too unusual, too special, too complex a set of characteristics? By then, the, you know, the screwball comedy opportunity is waning. Right. Too urbane, you know,
1: I'm sure. Yeah, you know.
0: too, too sophisticated. Somehow it's, there's not going to be enough roles for her, and, and it just washes out again. But really infuriating to think what could have been.
1: Absolutely. and I mean, like so many of the stars that we are um, sort of praising on this show, uh, not remotely relatable so yes <laughs> which is the best kind of star uh-huh. so, but but you know I guess it's at this time that uh, in the in the uh late 40s that she takes a turn for um self-parody and mm-hmm. I think we have Noel Coward in part to blame for this she's in a very successful run of private lives that runs mm-hmm. for like you know years all over the years. country probably, yeah. probably Everyone who was alive in the late '40s probably saw Tallulah Bankhead in Private Lives, which is a delightful. She's practically play.
0: playing Barnes. She was everywhere <laughs> in the country. <laughs> right. it's amazing.
1: Right. <laughs> and it's a, if you've seen Private Lives, it's fine. You know, it's it's amusing, but and it's-, it's
0: perfect for her though. It's that it's that mm-hmm. high, high, farcical, campy. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, you can yeah. see how she would have made a meal out of it. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And it, you know, it's sexy and witty. Um, but, I, you know, arguably by that time, the American theater is changing. Mm-hmm. Arthur Miller and Tennessee Williams are in the scene. And there's a developing taste for something a little deeper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Tallulah, you know, she's she does she hides out in Noel Coward for the end of the 40s. But the, the 50s bring a renaissance. Um, all About Eve is made. All About Me, as she
0: calls mm-hmm. it. She called it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And and she hosts a radio show called the Big Show for I don't know two two or three years from mm-hmm. you know 1950 to 1952 or 1953 and it was you know, one of the highest rated rated radio shows of the time at at a time mm-hmm. when radio is still big you know it's mm-hmm. kind of like The Late Show or something
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and she was the mistress of ceremonies and she you know, everyone was on it you know every major star that you could possibly think of um, and it it at during the in. In her sort of um, skits and introductions for the big show, she, uh, all of the punchlines are self deprecating. They're all about yeah. her. And in the 1950s, she appears on many television shows as a guest star. And um, this image really begins to solidify. And it, she, among other things, her, her gender is always in question.
0: <laughs> because- it's a little shocking. Uh-huh. but and again, when you, when you think of what the sexual culture was in the 50s in America, then it's like, oh, <laughs> that explains it. Yeah.
1: Right. Because the yeah. only way they can explain her transgressiveness, yeah. let alone her voice, it is mm-hmm. to like intimate somehow that, you know, she's
0: manlike or, you know, yeah. like a man. Um, yeah. It, it, it- so you could get a huge laugh just calling her sir. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I saw that after you told me about. I didn't know about this at first. When I first saw it, I didn't really get it, and you, and you had to explain it to me. What was I? I guess I was looking at she, what was the show she was on? The Milton Berle Milton show. Milton Berle, yeah, yeah. And all the joke. He was with Frank Sinatra. Was the other guest, and all, all. So many of the jokes were about this, and I was like, "What's going on?" <laughs> and <laughs> then, but then since then, I read that and many other shows. The joke would be somebody, some someone would say, "Oh yes, sir," or something, and everyone would scream with laughter. Yeah even though she dressed in such a floridly in public anyway mm-hmm. so decked out in an ultra feminine style but but the but the complexity of the image doesn't read as other than she's that transgressive it must she must be like a man essentially
1: exactly and i mean it kind of shocks me because obviously that's such camp humor you know it seems Mm -hmm. so gay i'm Mm -hmm. just like this is coming out of milton burrell's mouth
0: (laughs) i know but
1: (laughs) i I really think it's that weird 50s it's kind of like that meme sorry side note but like Mm -hmm. there is something about the 50s where like everything is gay because it's so straight you know mm. so
0: it, it's, the- it's so exaggeratedly straight exactly <laughs> yes. that it tips over into, into yes. gay <laughs> yes yes that's right
1: because I mean everything is a parody you know the man and woman they're parodies of themselves so mm-hmm. um, I guess that's where Tallulah <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, and if you doubt this watch you know pillow talk or something where the, where the gay jokes are like written into the script it's just unbelievable it's- and it will remind you of the truth of this unbelievable
1: and she has this great hilarious hell- Legendary stint on the mm-hmm. Lucy and Desi Comedy Hour <laughs> yeah. in the 1950s, and it's yeah. the, the jokes are the same. There, there's a really confused um, attitude towards her, where she's hypersexual and she's going to steal your man. You know, like mm-hmm. Lucy's afraid that Tallulah's going to steal Ricky, and mm-hmm. on the other hand, she's. Uh, completely sexually ambiguous and being addressed Mm -hmm. as sir. They always Mm -hmm. make references to her baritone, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. so it is the most confusing sexual persona I could possibly imagine.
0: Well, Um, and it ends on that wonderful line, that wonderful, you know, metal line where, where, (laughs) where, or I don't know if it's the last one, but, but, you know, they're having a, Lucy and Tallulah are having this huge argument and, and Lucy slams out and then comes back for one last thing and and Tallulah says by the way your imitation of me and dis- is disgusting <laughs> and Lucy says so is yours <laughs> something like I messed it up but it's essentially like by then it's being acknowledged that she's you know Tallulah is playing Tallulah so big exactly. that it could be considered an impersonation
1: yep. yeah yeah that's it and it, yes it's brilliant the Lucy show is so good like mm-hmm. if if you watch nothing else watch that
0: yeah, and that's definitely on YouTube. Yeah. It <laughs> Very popular on YouTube. Yeah. And,
1: and and she so, you know, she we should say she is a huge gay icon. Huge, obvi- mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Um mm-hmm. she's the you know, her person she's one style she's a star who is both camp in that her style um emphasizes the theatricality of social and sexual roles right because she's Mm -hmm. always camping herself playing herself but of course she also is able she evinces camp humor you know she has a camp way of relating to the world Mm -hmm. um this began to backfire unfortunately sadly for her Mm -hmm. um she got a chance to play blanche in a streetcar named desire in 1955 and it came to new york for two weeks and There are many accounts of this, of the rehearsals for this play in um, Florida, and also um, of the New York performance, which only lasted two weeks. It was supposed to. It was part of, it was when, in the days when New York City Center was really exciting and um, Mm -hmm. produced, you know, really interestingly casted um, contemporary plays for uh, a very reasonable ticket price. Um, But, anyways, so Tallulah's two week run there was super mixed. And it's because, when the critics visited, it depended what night it was, or was it a matinee or an evening performance, and who was mm-hmm. in the audience. Because the men in the audience, a, a game throngs of gay men would come to see her, and no matter what she said, you know, in *Streetcar*, there's a line about um, the Pleiades, a constellation, and she'd say mm-hmm. things like, "Those girls aren't out tonight," and people would, you know, the the crowd just would scream, just scream, out. and mm-hmm. it it was really distracting for her. And she, it, I mean, she look, she hammed it up. And she absolutely knew that she had a gay audience, Um, but she was very invested in Streetcar, and of course it's a great play, and it's a very great role, and it's a tremendously taxing role. And she was devastated because she felt Mm -hmm. like she wasn't being given a chance to be an artist. And the Mm -hmm. same thing happened in New York. So the reviews are completely schizophrenic. Some Mm -hmm. of the reviews say, you know, she's parroting, she's playing it up. Um, Mm -hmm. And some of the reviews say this was one of the most moving portrayals of Blanche Dubois that we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really sad and that, that continued to happen. And it seems like Mm -hmm. she kind of just gave up and she's kind of said, yeah, there's that
0: heartbreaking story of another, you know, almost with Tennessee Williams, where she's, she was going to play Amanda in Class Menagerie. Yes. And supposedly the screen tests, or at least a lot of the screen tests, you know, they they did several tests, were absolutely great, absolutely heartbreakingly great. And She had a total, if she said to Tennessee Williams, I understand this part better than you do because <laughs> I'm so Southern and I'm so steeped in all, everything you're writing about, I know this part. And she really wanted to, it's, it's, and there's one point where she's she is cr- found crying and she's so terrified to do the part because she says, I'm, I'm afraid I'll just be no good. Because I think by, by a certain point in her career, mm-hmm. she just couldn't, she could never be sure, you know, whether even if she was being good, whether anyone would recognize it, whether she wasn't good at all. I think she was just so like not sure anymore right. <laughs> of her own power, her own, how seriously to take her own talent. Um, and in the end, I forget exactly how it all went wrong. I think it was Jack Warner wouldn't have it. She got drunk. That was it. Yeah. She got drunk and he said, look, I've already had to go through Errol Flynn and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not going to go through it anymore. So she's out. She's just out. Oh, and through Lawrence played it.
1: The worst. Who is and so bad. And it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, if you
0: watch it, it's just really not redeemable. Um, And it never probably could have been great because they botched it up in various ways, but at least you could have had a centrally great, you know, great performance as, <laughs> as Amanda. Amanda in there to watch. You know, so she lost out on, you know, I don't even know if she was ever considered for the Regina Gibb- Giddens role in um, in know um, little foxes but that's another even though betty davis i still think is great but sure but you know you wonder <laughs> what what she could have done with her most legendary role it would have been amazing um, to have
1: that on film yeah. in some way shape or form yeah. you know yeah but it so
0: yeah it, even in big careers you get all of this weird tangential like what could have been all the missed opportunities it can be really heartbreaking in her case
1: yeah, and her, I guess we should say her um, stage career really ends with another Tennessee Williams vehicle that mm. it wasn't exactly written for her, but in some ways it was based upon her. It's called The Milk Train Doesn't Stop Here Anymore, which was, uh, it was adapted into a film a couple years later called Boom, directed by <laughs> Joseph Luzzi, starring Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. It's
0: its one of John Waters' favorite stage. films of all time, and that'll tell you something. Oh my
1: God, it, yeah, it <laughs> it's it's hallucinatory but it's uh, among other things it's about an um a woman who is kind of like a chorus girl and married a bunch of uh, rich men and ends up delusional um you know fucked up on booze and pills on her own mediterranean island dictating Mm -hmm. her memoirs through an (laughs) intercom system which is which is actually something Tallulah Bankhead did do when she was did. writing her memoirs in the 1950s. Not in the Mediterranean, but she had an intercom system. And Flora Goforth, the, the protagonist, is kind of a combo of Williams himself cracking up mm-hmm. and, you know, someone Tallulah-ish, whom, whom mm-hmm. he knew fairly well. And, uh, you know, you would think is a perfect person to play this part, but by that time, it was 1964, I believe, mm-hmm. and she was so far gone. On with alcoholism that she yeah. just couldn't she could barely remember her lines so mm-hmm. I think it lasted five performances on Broadway oh. and that Ooh. was her last Broadway appearance um yeah it was it was absolutely tragic so mm-hmm. anyway um that's it's that. gonna be a hard
0: a hard role to sustain Tallulah Bankhead
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know
0: and you know no you know we shouldn't be too condescending because none of us get out of here alive but I mean she made an awful lot out of out of her life and had such incredible qualities but it is very hard i've gotten to the end you know i've read three bio- bios and i always hesitate before the final plunge because oh, no. i just don't want to read it it really gets terribly upsetting yeah
1: well, before we put her in her grave um should we, <laughs> should we talk a little bit about her politics which were kind of interesting for her day and age
0: yeah i mean that she certainly, you know, because of her father's position and she, of course, I'm sure that had a huge influence on her. She was very, very pro FDR during the war. She was just so intensely anti-fascist that she had a huge fight with, well, it was a very one-sided fight <laughs> with poor, uh, with poor Walter Slezak on the set of Lifeboat because she just screamed at him. I just hate you. I just hate you because, you know, he came from Austria and people and he's like, I just hate you. I can't, I can't separate. And he's playing the Nazi. I can't separate you from <laughs> your background and your role. And he was just meekly like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm an actor. Yeah, I'm just a poor actor. I'm trying doing my best here. But um so she was super impassioned about that. She was very, very impassioned about civil rights. Um, you know, the famous Factoid, which is a great one. The first white woman on the on the cover of Ebony. <laughs> you know, she, she uh, Ebony magazine. She but, um, but she
1: did appear on it with uh, Louis Armstrong.
0: Oh, I didn't know. Oh, oh, I still, I needed to look that up. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, so she gave gave generously to causes and was actively involved in causes that she really cared about. You know, she comes from that complex background, that Southern background, that's going to be hard to (laughs) to get out of your system, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's there's certainly aspects of her politics that are a little, like, yikes. Um, You've still got all that in the mix, but she really was, you know really it seems to me trying very very hard um in an extraordinary way kind of the way she did everything actually Uh she yeah she um
1: she was it like outspoken um proponent of integration um Mm. then there are many 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 incidences of her sticking Mm -hmm. up for uh, like insisting Mm -hmm. that fellow black players or entertainers not use the service entrance um and if 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 say a a playhouse owner, um, insisted on that in the South, then she would say, I insist that every member of the company use the service entrance. Mm -hmm. So she was interesting in, in that way. And obviously like many people in New York in the twenties and thirties, she hung out in Harlem a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. Billie holidays lover. Um, Mm -hmm. and she, she was probably the lover of several other black women. Mm -hmm. Um, but she did have, you know, she did have a sort of, uh, southern attachment to like mammy figures, um mm-hmm. you know, certain servants or people in her employ um that you know maintained the southern aristocratic hierarchy. but in that in that weird mixing of um you know, treating uh, Servants as family, (laughs) you Mm know, Um, the family
0: retainer syndrome. Yeah, Yeah. exactly,
1: exactly. Mm -hmm. And but her father, she insisted her father was not a Dixiecrat, and indeed, Mm -hmm. he was very pro union and pro labor Mm -hmm. and pro Roosevelt, which which was a break with a lot of his, um, uh, c- contemporaries. Mm-hmm. So, um, who the hell knows, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. But it is, it, I mean, it is interesting to see, you know, and she drove people crazy. She, you know, if you've ever seen the actress Estelle Winwood, <laughs> she always plays dotty old ladies Woo! and stuff. She's wonderful. The but facts. they were, they were hugely great friends from the time Toulouse Bankhead was like a teenager. Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe she lovers. She with her
0: off and on. Maybe lovers. Mm-hmm. It's a little unknown, you know, like so many things. But, um, um, you know, she she would say at one at one point I forget what incredibly wonderful thing Tallulah had done, and it had to do with race with racial relations, and 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 she found uh, Tallulah came back into the house or something and found Estelle Winwood crying, and she said, "What is the matter?" And Estelle Winwood said, "You can be so marvelous when you want me, <laughs> because you know sometimes she was not so marvelous, not in that particular way, but." <laughs> you know, she was a very very tempestuous woman, but there are wonderful stories of when of of certain principles she would just stand up for. Like that whole respect for the company, she was just a maniac on that. Mhm. You know, so there's a wonderful story of young Jerry Lewis was was supposed to come on as part of something she was doing and he was late and he came on and he was he was doing all of his yuck-it-up jokes about it and she went over and she was holding a, the script and she backhanded him across the face like frontward and then backward (laughs) across the face and said nobody disrespects my company (laughs) and it was really beautiful she didn't even put it in terms of me she didn't pull the star thing It was the company he had disrespected so and anyone who slaps jerry lewis you just gotta like that
1: yeah we approve (laughs) she did you know she had a real respect she was like very punctual um you do hear stories like oh my god speaking of tennessee williams like Mm. what betty davis pulled you know when she became a member of a broadway cast like things like not letting anyone cut her lines and you know just like um literally moving downstage center when it wasn't part of the blocking playing directly to the you know to the the fans um
0: yeah yeah it's hard if you like betty davis to read the night of the iguana on stage experience because she's just a monster she's just a monster total
1: monster and it was you know just all no uh, no consideration for the play and it seems like Tallulah was very much the opposite she -hmm. you know she really did have like a company feeling like you say and it it was kind of a team player for being you mm-hmm. know just a big just kind of a crazy girl Yeah,
0: well maybe we should just talk about you know maybe we should have lived with this but at least we can you know kind of wrap up with it is like why should people care now because she is we have had to talk for an hour to just try to define her yeah. And I do get the sense that I was surprised when I when I wrote the piece on it for the, the film suck post that that more people seem to know about her and like her and respond to the post than I would have expected. I just kind of assume that, do, do people still know. Mm-hmm. But I, I think a lot of at the same time, a lot of people don't know. And so, you know, what's it's, it can be hard to explain why she why she matters to us. <laughs> oh, God. So let's do that. Well, Oh
1: personally speaking, she's she's a brush a breath of fresh air. She's um she's effervescent and hilarious about things that our culture is so lugubrious about.
0: <laughs> Which, I think that's the main thing. Yeah. Yes, is that she's so riotous and so much fun and so irreverent, and we're so reverent, and it's such a drag all the time. I mean, I know there are serious issues often involved, but we treat everything. <laughs> With such a downer, like what figure can we even point to who, who brings the who brings the hilarity to all this nonsense that we're, is the human condition? It's very hard to find anyone.
1: Yeah. And like self-deprecation is out of fashion um, mm-hmm. because you're supposed to have like self-esteem or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, self-esteem is fine. I think actually, you know, but you can self-deprecate being self-deprecating is so um, I think cathartic um
0: it and generous to others because then you encourage others to be more themselves and less ashamed and less inclined to cover themselves up in fear and try to present their best face all the time it gives permission i'm always only comfortable and america's terrible for this america's always had braggy culture Yeah, And if you're not comfortable with it, you've practically got to go to Ireland or someplace where (laughs) they do it right and you can just relax because everybody's doing it. Everybody's taking self-amused little shots all the time and it's very, very delightful. It really helps things along.
1: It's so true. It puts everyone at their ease, you know. Mm -hmm. No one becomes such a, I don't know, paragon of virtue or success that you can't. Mm. uh, Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so. That might it's be opportunities <laughs> to bond.
0: Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and you know, just the not boring thing I think is tremendously important. <laughs> There's a great line from Anita Luz, who's you know, a, you know, a, a, a great writer. She, she she's most famous for uh, "Gentlemen Prefer Blondes," um, and she said, "Tallulah never bored anyone," and I consider that humanitarianism, <laughs> humanitarianism of a very high order indeed. Bravo. and that's just nicely pithy. As it w- makes you realize, like how often in life you just you just have to endure, um, you know, dealing with people because yes. you're you're almost certainly going to be bored at work. You're often going to be bored socially. You're just like you know you know the few people in your life that you know if COVID ever ends and we have social occasions again where you're like oh thank God that person is here and right. there probably aren't that many of them. <laughs> right, where you're like, oh, okay, this party's gonna go, and it's not gonna all be on me to try to make it go. And with Tallulah Bankhead, at least you know, in her in her great years, you never doubt it. <laughs> if she showed up, the party was gonna go.
1: That's right.
0: She yeah. worked hard. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I don't think it's going to get better than that. Tallulah, hallelujah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think we've covered it. I think. I mean, there's always more we could say. We could talk about her, just her personal style, which I think is great. You know, she just had a wonderful look. There's so many things. There's so many angles, but I think we've
1: covered yeah. I think we'll yeah. we'll let you to do your Googling. Um, Go
0: check it yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we encourage it, definitely. There's a lot of wonderful material out there. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for Film Suck and our celebration of Tallulah. You notice we really went all in on this. We've now <laughs> had a post, referred to it in one episode, and done a full episode since. So now, how are we going to follow it? We don't even know. But we'll be back in two weeks, as usual. And until then, thanks, as always, for listening. You can follow the podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, thanks for subscribing, if you are, if you aren't, but you happen to be listening to this. Um, and if you like what you hear. It would be wonderful if you would subscribe and, you know, get all the content instead of just half. Um, God bless you all. You're keeping us in a you know, gin and tonics. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for today. Bye. Bye. <laughs>